0: that we continue our sermon series, it's still the church, and we are looking at Jesus' messages to the seven churches there in the book of Revelation. Let me just tell you, my prayer, my, my great hope is that through this, through God's word, that God would lead us to be a great church, that he would lead us to be the church that he intends for us to be, and that this would be an awesome, awesome thing for Calvary Baptist Church. That's my prayers. We look at these messages, as we break down these verses, that God would use it to instruct us as a people, to encourage us as a church, and that we would exist as the church that God intends for us to be. Do you know that's what he intends? Do you know that's that's his intent as he gives us these verses? Do you know that's the, the potential, this is the living an active Word of God. That is the the potential that as we are, are directed and led by His Word, that there would be an awesome, awesome result. I want to tell you, I'm not just giving a college lecture. I'm not just putting out information. Our goal as believers is that God would change us, transform us as a church, and there would be an awesome result through this study. That's my prayer. Today I start off by asking the question, can you tell? Can you identify a follower of Jesus Christ? Can you tell? Can you identify a follower of Jesus Christ? And if you can, how can you tell that a person is a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ? Are there dead giveaways? Are there telltale signs? Are there distinguishing marks of a person who's a follower of Jesus Christ? When I see that, that points to the fact, the truth that they are a follower of Jesus Christ. Is it where they go or who they associate with? Is it the fact that they go to a church? They go to a church and they're known for going to a church. Does that mark them as a follower of Jesus Christ? Is it a behavior, some moral standard that they adhere to or they at least claim to adhere to, Do they do certain things, or or do they not do certain things? Is there some behavior that marks them as a follower of Jesus Christ? Is it the language that they speak? You have to admit, I was thinking about that this week. Christians say some pretty weird things. If you think about it, Christians say some pretty weird things. We, We call our Bible study time our quiet time. I have no idea why. We call our our small group, Bible says life groups or discipleship groups is what we call them here, discipleship groups. Or you come into our discipleship group, you won't hear that anywhere else. Here's one, we call when we hang out, or especially when we eat, fellowshipping. I've never been anywhere else that. said, well, you want to meet me at 7 o'clock we're going to do some fellowshipping together. Uh, For sure, if I tell you we're going to be fellowshipping, we're going to be eating. (laughs) Is it a language that we use that gives it us away? If you say certain things, does that mark them as a follower of Jesus Christ? Or maybe it's more profound than any of those things. Is there a change in them? The Bible says that we are new in Christ. When you see a person and there is a, a true change, a lasting change in them, is that what it, it marks them as a believer in Jesus Christ? Maybe it's a change in their life. Or is it our love for one another? John chapter 13, verse 35 says, And by this they will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I want to tell you, that's not what the world does. That's counter what the world does. And so if you find people and they're actually loving one another, is that the mark that they are a follower of Jesus Christ? Is that what gives us away? Well, I believe this this morning. Yes, we have a new moral standard. And it is the Word of God. And yes, we may speak crazy terms, crazy language. And for sure, we ought to be different. We ought to be changed because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. And yes, our love for one another ought to point to Jesus Christ. But listen to me this morning. I believe the primary distinction of a follower of Jesus Christ is an intense, true, deep love for Jesus. I believe that's the distinguishing mark. I believe that's the trait. I believe those who are followers of Jesus Christ, that's what I believe. All of those other things come out of that. I believe if you find a follower of Jesus Christ, if you find a sinner who's been forgiven of their sins, who's been redeemed, who's been restored, who has been set right because of the grace and the suffering of Jesus on the cross, you will find a person that is crazily, radically loving Jesus Christ. I believe that's the distinguishing factor. Very simply this morning, that means this. As Christians, we love Jesus. That's pretty simple, isn't it? As Christians, we love Jesus. As Christians, we we, in our hearts bubble over about Jesus. We can't wait to, to sing about Jesus since Jesus came into my heart. We can't wait to tell others about Jesus. When times get hard, we, we look and we lean towards Jesus. Very simply, as Christians, we love Jesus. Maybe the reason the church today is having such a hard time, and I'm talking about the universal church, maybe the reason the church is having such a tough time these days is because today we want the things of Jesus. We, we want to be blessed by Jesus. We for sure want to be known as followers of Jesus, but we have forgotten today that the core of Christianity is having a heart that loves Jesus. This morning our message is entitled, It's Still the Church, Step One, Love Jesus. Step one, love Jesus. We're in Revelation chapter 2. Today we're going at verses 1 through 7. Revelation chapter 2. Today, verses 1 through 7. Step 1, love Jesus. I'm going to ask if you would, if you would stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's Word. Revelation chapter 2, beginning in the first verse, Jesus is speaking. He says this, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not. And you found them to be false. And you have perseverance, and have endured for my name's sake, and have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore remember from where you have fallen and repent, And do the deeds you did at first, or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds and the neglations, which I also hate. He who has ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, we come today we're thankful for you. We're thankful for the hope that we have that endures and stands today because of Jesus Christ, our Lord. We're thankful for the forgiveness of our sin, for the restoration of a, of a broken relationship through the cross. We're thankful for the church that you establish, that you lead, and that you use for your glory. I pray, Lord, as we begin this study, as we continue in it, That today you would speak to us, that it would truly be an awesome thing, a a supernatural thing. I pray that we would grow today, that we would be instructed today. I I pray for some in this service that do not know Jesus Christ. And I pray that in the influence of the church that preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ and the drawing of the Spirit of God, that today folks would put their faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray above all things that in, in this hour, in this day, and through your people, you would be glorified. We love you, we praise you, we worship you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. May be seated. As always, this morning we're going to move through the verses, and we're going to let the verses speak to us this morning. Let's go very quickly to the verses. Beginning in verse 1, it says this. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this. Now, let's use this first verse and set the context. It starts off and it says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus. If you remember last week, we determined that the the angels that Jesus holds in his hand, the stars that he holds in his hand, is referring to the pastors of the actual local church Churches. And so understand here, the message is going to be given to the church through the pastor of the church. And so, to the pastor of the church in Ephesus, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, right. Now, let me stop for just a second here and talk about this church in Ephesus. Understand today, this was a great church. This was an influential church. Now probably, I would say it's probably the most influential Christian church of its day. I believe it truly was the most influential church of its day. Ephesus as a city was a city that was estimated to be between 250,000 people and perhaps by this time almost a half a million people, which in those days would have been a a tremendous city. So it is a large city. It was, it was an acclaimed city. It was a city that, that loved trade and, and culture and the arts. There's archaeologists have found an auditorium there that seats 25,000 people. Understand, this is a great city. This is an impressive city. Well, the church there in this city has a great history. It was started by Priscilla and Aquila. We read that in Acts chapter 18. It was taught by Apollos, the 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 man that was an astute uh, teacher of the Word of God. and uh, We read there also in the book of Acts that Paul stops by that church on his second missionary journey. And then on his third missionary journey, Paul actually serves as the pastor of that church for three years. Can you imagine that? The, the apostle Paul is the pastor there for three years. After that, after Paul, Timothy, Paul's protege, is also the pastor of his church in Ephesus. So, Paul's the pastor there. Timothy also is a pastor there. Later, John, the Apostle John, also is a pastor there. In fact, I believe most likely he is arrested there and he's taken to the island of Patmos from his pastorate here at the church in Ephesus. Now, let me tell you, maybe no church, maybe no other church has had such a great slate of pastors. Two apostles and one trained directly at the hands of an apostle. I believe no church has had such great proclamation of the word of God as did the church in Ephesus. What a tremendous church. What an impressive city. What an impressive slate of pastors. Paul and Timothy and John himself. This was a great church. This was an influential church the time of this letter, the time of this message from Christ, the time that it's given, the church will be about 40 years old. So there in verse 1, it tells us the context. This church, it tells us the message is going to go through the pastor. It tells us then of the one who is giving the message. And remember we saw part of this last week, but we see a great picture of Christ, and so the one giving the message, we we tie it to the first chapter above it, and we see this awesome picture of Christ. Though remember also from last week, from the first verse, we see that Christ is ruling the church, and His right hand is the hand of rule. So we see Jesus is the head of the church. Christ is the head of the church. We also see that He is holding the tools of His leadership. His pastors in his right hand so jesus is the head of the church jesus leads the church and he's holding the pastors of the church in his right hand then we also see in that picture that he is intimately participating in his church in chapter one we see that he is standing in the midst of his church and that's an awesome thing And then, as we move into this verse, we see that he walks in the midst of his church. And so, understand, Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is also deeply, closely involved in the life of his church. Now, what an awesome picture that is. Be sure again the church is not a normal institution. No way. The church is not normal. The church is is supernatural. Jesus himself leads the church. Jesus himself is working to the church. It's not like a club. It's not like a business. It's not like some worldly organization. The church is an awesome supernatural thing. Jesus is leading the church. Jesus is participating in using his church. What an awesome picture of the church. Verse 1 again. <clears throat> to the angel of the church in Ephesus, right? The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this. Now we have the message. Let's look at verse 2. I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not. And you found them to... Be false. Jesus starts the message here. And if you if you notice as you read through that second verse, he really brags on the positive things that the church has done. He starts off and he says, give the message to the pastor of the church. And then he starts the message. He really he really brags. He starts to list the accomplishments that this church has seen, that the good things that the church has done. Now, it's going to take a couple of verses to do that. Well, understand, as we look today at these verses, today we can take instruction and that the things that they are celebrating for, the things that they are affirmed for, He would also desire in us. He would also affirm and celebrate in us. And so understand, as we listen to the list, of the positive things that the church has done, we are also going to be instructed that these are the things that he would also celebrate in us. So it starts off and Jesus says this, I know, I know. I don't want to miss the heaviness of that. Know, the form of it here in the Greek language, the original language, means to have full knowledge. To possess full knowledge. Now what that means is Christ Jesus knows what's going on in the church. He sees what's happening in the church. He's not fooled by what's going on in the church. see, we may fool some in the church. We, We may dress it up in the church. We may pose one way in the church and we may be able to put this facade on. We may be able to act one way and we may fool some people. But listen, Jesus has full knowledge of what's going on in his church. He knows the hearts in his church. He knows the the thoughts in his church, the motivations in his church. He says, I know he has full knowledge of what's going on in his church. He says this, I know your deeds and toil. I know your deeds and toil. What that means is this. Jesus says to them, I know your work, that's what it translates, and your efforts for the cause of Christ. He says, "I, I know of your output. I know of your labor. I know of your service. To the cause of Jesus Christ. I want you to see this this morning. The church blesses us. Be, be sure that the church blesses us. I, I can tell you this. I would not, I would not want to exist as a follower of Jesus Christ outside of the church. Some folks say, well, I don't need the church. Well, the church did this. The church hurt me, and I have this, and I'm not for organized religion. Let me tell you something. I would not want to exist as a follower of Jesus Christ outside of the church. I think that is a crazy thing. I think that is a dangerous thing. I know that's outside of God's plan. I would not want to operate as a Christian outside of the church. You see, it is in the church that I am encouraged. It is in the church that I am instructed. It is in the church that, that we're, we're prayed for. It's in the church that we're pointing to Christ. that we're pointing to the words of Christ. God's word. It's in the church that we find like-minded people. And so you be very sure today. We are. I am blessed in the church. I'm not going to tell you any different. I am greatly blessed in the church. We are blessed in the church. However, listen primary purpose of the church, however, is not to bless me. The primary purpose of the church is not to serve me, but for me to serve the cause of Jesus Christ. through it. See, that's a lost thing, I think. You know, we, we go around saying, well, I want to be blessed and I want this and I desire this. Listen, the cause of the church, yes, the church is a blessing to us, But the primary cause of the church is not to serve me, but me as a follower of Jesus Christ, to serve the cause in the name of Jesus Christ through. Folks, the primary question for the church is not what do you have, and what do you have, and what do you have, and what do I like, and what do I like, and what do I like, the primary primary question of the church is how would I serve the name of Jesus Christ through this church? So Jesus says this, I know of your deeds, I know of your toil, I know of your work, I know of your service through the church. Then he says this, and perseverance. I know of your toil, your deeds, I know of your work, but then he says, I know of your your perseverance. Now, this is an, an interesting word, and, and when you look at it in the original language, the perseverance that, it, that, it, that it's referring to here means this. Listen very carefully patience in trying circumstances. Here's one that's even better, and I think it, it, it matches more closely. It means this to accept suffering and loss, to accept it to take it in. He says, And I know of your perseverance. I know of your acceptance of loss and suffering. You see, the truth of, of the matter is this. To serve Jesus Christ is going to cost you. To serve Jesus Christ, it's going to cost you your comfort. It's going to cost you your reputation. It may cost you your status, but to serve Jesus Christ, it's going to cost you some of your friends. And, and to serve Jesus Christ... You will suffer to serve the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says this, I know. I know. And I know that you've kept on in the midst of that suffering. I know that you've accepted that suffering. And he says, I know, I see it. Good job. You have perseverance in the cause of Christ. Why why does the cause of Christ also have such a hard time today? Why why do we see folks start big and then fade away? Why why do we see all these different things, issues pop up in churches today? It's because of this, I believe. I believe our self-focus and our consumeristic minds have led us to feel so maybe entitled that we've decided we can become upset with such small, pathetic things that there's no way we'll ever stand under the big things. And I think that's a big problem in the church today. We think, you know what, I've got a right to be mad about the carpet. I've got a, a right to be mad about the music. And I'm so mad about such pathetic things that when the heavy things come, nobody will stand under the weight of the heavy things. Let me tell you something. Let me just go I'm not going to pull any punches. Let me tell you this. Today in 2018, whatever age you are, today in 2018, if you will say, This is the Word of God. All of it, brother, listen. All of it. This is the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation. This is the Word of God. If you'll say that, and if you'll say, You know what, this is how I'm going to live I don't care what the the culture says. I'm going to order my life according to this. If you say this is the word of God and I'm going to live by it, I'm going to order my life according to it. If you out of that say, Jesus is the only hope I have. Jesus is the only hope that will stand. The only way to ever be saved is Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something, brother or sister, you're going to have trouble. 2018 Vernon, Texas. You say this is the word of God all of it and I'm going to order my life according to that and Jesus is the only hope I ever have and my salvation only comes through Jesus Christ the Lord and you're going to have trouble. Jesus says this I've seen your suffering I've seen your hurt see he stood under the same suffering even greater. He suffered the same hurt, even greater. And So he sees their pain and their suffering and he says, I've seen your perseverance that you've taken on the suffering but you didn't just take it off, you kept on in it. And Jesus says, good job. Praise God that they did. Praise God that they did. He goes on and he says this, and that you cannot tolerate evil men. I see your work, your toil, I see your effort, I see your perseverance, and I see that you cannot tolerate evil men. Now what that means is this. This church in Ephesus called sin sin. That's what that means. They called sin sin. Let me just tell you, that is a big deal. Sometimes I I hear guys and they say, well, you know what, our church isn't going to focus too much on sin. I hear guys that will publicly say, that's not the calling we have is to talk about sin. Let me tell you, this church called sin, sin, and that is a big, big deal because you cannot be saved without an understanding of sin. You don't know what you're saved from. Do you understand that? You can't be saved without an understanding of sin. You will have no value for the cross of Calvary. And that's the problem today if you do not have an understanding of sin. The cross means nothing to you if you have no understanding of the truth of sin. Let me tell you something. You can't understand God's grace if you do not understand the depths of sin. As a Christian, you can't walk and live as a follower of Jesus Christ without a right understanding of sin. And so Jesus says here, you call sin, sin, and you cannot tolerate evil people, and he commends the church. Good job. You looked around lately. My belief is this. In the next 10 years, Before will hits 18 years of age, in the next 10 years, listen to me, my belief is this. The American church will lose its power and will lose its influence because under the name of political correctness and tolerance and popularity, it will refuse to call what God has called sin as sin. It's already happening. Let me tell you something. You have no influence in the culture if you won't tell them what they're saved from. You have no influence in the culture if you melt into the culture and go along with the culture and you won't tell them there's a penalty for sin. It's already happened. I believe the American church in the next 10 years is going to lose its influence because they will not call what God has called sin. As sin. Jesus says here to this church in, in a messed up, wicked city of, of, of Ephesus, He says, You have not cratered, you have not turned, you've called sin, sin, you do not tolerate evil people. And Jesus Himself says, Good job. He goes on. Let me read the rest of, of the second verse. I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance. And that you cannot tolerate evil men. And you put to the test. Now listen to this. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles. And they are not. And you found them to be false. Now I'm going to jump down to verse 6. He's going to continue bragging on them. Yet this you do have. That you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Which I also hate. Now get this. It's a huge thing. Get this this morning. The biggest threat to the church of Jesus Christ, then and now, is a deviation from, or a neglect of, or a distortion of the truth. I want to tell you, they're being persecuted, they're being hauled off, they're being crucified, they're being beheaded, there's trouble in the church, there's trouble outside of the church, there's all sorts of stuff going on, but I want to tell you, the biggest threat to the church in that day is the same threat that's the biggest threat to this day and it is a deviation of or a neglect of or a distortion of the truth. Listen to me, friends, be very clear in this. It is by the truth that we're saved. You can't be saved in the half-truth. It's by the truth that we are saved you can not be saved in a half truth its by the truth that you are saved. It's the truth, only the truth that that sets us free. That's what Scripture says. Jesus comes and He says, He is the truth. And so Satan's plan, Satan's ploy, all the way from the book of Genesis, all the way from the start, is to chip away at the truth, to change the truth, to get people to distort the truth of God's Word. Listen, it's an attack on the truth. The greatest threat is the truth that the church holds. Jesus says here, some have come in, they're preaching half-truths. They're coming in, they're preaching misapplications of the truth. They're, teach, they're teaching distortions of the truth. They claim to speak from God, for God. They claim to be apostles. Does that sound familiar today? I have a word from God. I'm speaking as an apostle today. And they, the Bible says, Jesus says they're liars. They're not of the truth. In fact, I believe He can group them in the, the list of evil men right above it. They come and distort the truth. They've come to prevent you from being saved, from finding Jesus Christ. They're evil men, is what he says. That's Satan's work. He says they've come in and you've, you've realized what they were. You've realized they weren't speaking for God. They were apostles. He gives the name of one of the groups in that sixth verse, Nicolaitans. Now, I want you to think about them for just a second. They were a group of folks who who came up and they took Christian words and they took Christian ideas, Christian principles, and really they they took the idea of God's grace and how we love God's grace in the church, amazing grace. We love God's grace. And they take this concept of God's grace and they switch it. They change it. They distort it. And they take God's truth of grace and they, they made it to say, you know what? Because of God's grace, it's okay to sin. That's what they were teaching. It's okay to sin. God's going to forgive you. He died on the cross. He paid it all. What sin wouldn't He forgive? It's okay to sin. God's grace extends to you. There's forgiveness offered to you. One of the main ways was through through sexual promiscuity. Sexual immorality. So they say, well, God doesn't really care about that. God hasn't set a standard right there. He's going to forgive you anyway. God will get over it. Isn't that our world today? Oh, praise God for His grace. I do. Paul says, by no means is it a no license to sin. This folks show up and they say, you know what? You can tread on His grace. And you can train on His grace. And it's a license to sin. Jesus says this. I commend you because you hate their deeds as I hate them also is what he says. The word hate, I wouldn't look it up, means to detest, to despise. They come in there with this distortion, a partial teaching, a distortion of the truth. And I despise it and you despise it and good job. Acts chapter 20, verses 28 and 31. I read these verses last week. This is Paul's instruction to this church. Listen. Be on guard for yourselves, for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. He's talking to the pastors. To shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, listen, savage wolves, Paul says, will come come in among you not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves men will arise. Listen, from among your own selves men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years I did not cease to admonish, admonish each one with tears. Matthew chapter 7 verse 15, Jesus says this, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. And what that means is this. They come to you in peaceable clothing. They do not come rare in with both guns out. They come in and they're dressed as a sheep. And they come in and they have all the right greetings and all the right words. And they've taken our language. And they come in and in sheep's clothing they begin to blend in. Jesus says this. But inwardly, they are ravenous wolves. Well, isn't close enough good enough? I, I hear that so much. I hear that so much. Isn't close enough good enough? Can we disagree to get along? Isn't close enough good enough? Jesus says this. They come in in the sheep's clothing, and they are savage, and their desire is to tear you apart. And he warns the church. Listen to me. Today, we have to turn here. We have, we have to go very quickly to, to God's word. We have to uphold this. Well, that's not popular today. Well, that, that doesn't match our culture. Now, listen, it doesn't matter. We have to go to God's word. God's word is our standard as the church. God's word is our, is our speech from God that directs our paths, and the church need to go to God's word. Thus saith the Lord. The mantra of the church. So he says, Good job. You've stood against false apostles and false teachers who've come in to take away your church. Verse 3, moving on. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake. And have not grown weary. I want to see very quickly two things in the third verse. First is this, and and just listen. It is a hard thing to stand under the truth. It is a hard thing to live under the truth. It is a wearisome thing, a tiring thing, a hard effort to persevere the truth. You see, the flow is going this way. And the flow is going this way. You know what? It's it's comfortable to get in the flow. It's comfortable to move with the flow. It is a hard thing to stand and to lean into the culture. It's a hard thing to persevere in the truth. It is a wearisome thing to fight against the onslaught. And Jesus knows it. He knows the cost. He knows the the hurt. He knows the loss. And He knows the suffering. He stood in it as well. And so he comes to this church and he says, I see that you've endured in it, that you've kept on in it. And he brags on him, oh, I see the, the cost of going this way, and it's tiresome. Good job. Good job. Second thing we see in this verse is this. This church had the right motivation. They had the right motivation. It says, for his name's sake. Jesus says, for my name's sake. For his name's sake. And what they did, they did all of this for the glory of Jesus. They did it for the name of Jesus, for the, the fame of Jesus, for the cause and the glory of Jesus Christ. So they knew who it was for. They knew it wasn't for them. And so they did it for the name and the cause of Jesus Christ. Now, what that means is this. You can do all the good things. You can do all the right things. With the poor motivation, it doesn't stand. If you do it for yourself, if you do it for your comfort, if you do it for your fame, it's never going to stand. They did all the right things, he says here, and they did it for the name of Jesus Christ. They they had the right motivation. Now, right there, let me say this. What an awesome church! What an awesome church! What What a great church! Ephesian church. Oh, if we can do as well as they've done. Oh, what a great church. Good job. What a marvelous church. Verse 4. But. How stark of a word. But. I have this against you. That you have left your first love. But. I have this. Jesus is speaking. Can you imagine? Here's Jesus. And he says, You've done so well in these many areas. Oh, you've endured. I see your hurt. He says, Oh, you've pressed on. Oh, you've held to the truth. You've worked for the cause. I've seen it all. And he brags on it. But then Jesus stands and out of the Savior's eyes, he says, But you have left your first love. And I have this word left means abandoned. It means turned from and walked off from. It means departed. It means left alone. You've left alone your first love. You've disregarded. It means disregarded. So Jesus says, I have this against you. You have left your first love. Now, what does that mean? What was their first love? I want you to follow with me right here. There's some that would say it was their love for each other. There's a bunch of folks that say that's what it's talking about. It's their love for each other. And they have become divisive in this church. They have become cliquish in this church. And they've lost their love for one another. Now, they're doing the right things. They've stood, but you know what, they've become cliquish. They've, They've endured division in the church. And so they've lost their love for one another. Some say that. Some others say they lost their love for the lost. They, they were consumed with doctrine, they were consumed with the truth of God's word, and they'd they lost sight of the lost ones that were around them, that were there in that giant city of Ephesus, and they were gonna they were gonna exist in peril, they were gonna die without a relationship with Christ, and they lost their love for the lost people around them. Let me tell you this. I don't believe that's it. I believe those are symptoms. I believe what they lost was their love for Jesus. You see, if you have a a real love for Jesus, you start to see people a little bit differently. If you have a real love for Jesus, you start to want to proclaim the gospel to people that are going to be lost and perish and suffer without it. So I believe when it says they lost their first love, I believe it's talking about Jesus. And where 40 years earlier the good news came to this lost land, can you imagine? Here's a lost land, and they think we're gonna we're gonna find all of our answers in sports. We're gonna find all of our answers in entertainment. We're gonna find all of our answers in wealth. We're gonna find all of our answers in in sexual relationships. We're gonna find all of our answers in doing these things. We're gonna build names for ourselves, and we're gonna find answers there. And they didn't find an answer. And they didn't find an answer. And they didn't find an answer. Can you imagine when enters in Priscilla and Aquila, and they said, "Let me tell you about hope." Let me tell you about peace. Let me tell you about eternal life through Jesus Christ. And then when the gospel comes and it's clearly preached through Paul through Timothy and they hear of a Savior, they hear of Jesus Christ and their love wells up for such a Savior. And yes, they held the doctrine but they did it out of love for Jesus. Yes, they endured great persecution, great trouble, but they did it out of love for Jesus. Yes, they told people about Christ. They spread the gospel, but they did it out of love for Jesus. And now, all these years later, they've done the right things. They're still moving as a church, but their hearts have grown cold. And Jesus says, you abandoned the love you first Verse 5. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds which you did at first or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand. Remember, the lampstand was the church out of its place unless you repent. Now, to repent means this, to change directions. You're going this way, you repent, you go this way. It, it literally means a change of mind. My mind is convinced of this. I changed my mind. A literal translation means a change in the inner man. The very core of my being has changed. A change, a turn of direction in the inner man. Listen to verse 5 again. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent. Change your hearts, change your inner man, repent. And do the deeds you did at first. Or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Jesus has said the head of the church is himself. The head of the church is Jesus. But now he says the heart of the church is Jesus as well. even as well as you've done without love, without real love for Jesus, Your church cannot stand. And Jesus says this, I will remove it myself. A church that doesn't love Jesus can't stand. I don't care what their programs are. I don't care what their giving is. I don't care what their attendance is. A church without a deep, abiding love for Jesus Christ, Jesus says, I will remove you myself. A church that doesn't love Jesus can not stand. And so for whatever reason, they have let that burn out. They have let that love slide. And it's a sad state when he says, you've done all these things to the glory of God, even for the right motivation. But your hearts have grown cold. Listen to verse 7. He who has an ear, now listen to this, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now I want you to notice something here in verse 7. It is a message for the church. In verse 1 he says it's a message for the church delivered to the church through the pastor. It is a message for the church. But understand this in verse 7. The message for the church has an individual Here's where it's talking to us. The message for the church has an individual application. Verse 7. He, individual, who has an ear, individual, let him, individual, hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It's a message for the church, but it has an individual response. To him, individual, who overcomes, I will grant to you the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. What would it take to have a true, radical, deep love for Jesus? It's an individual response. I I, I can't get over this question. What would it take to have a radical, deep love for Jesus? One that would drive you, one that would propel you, one that would comfort you. One that would change you? What would it take to have that type of love for Jesus? Because evidently having a great church didn't do it. Evidently having the greatest pastors and hearing the greatest sermons didn't do it. What would it take? I wonder what would it take to have a deep love for Jesus? What would it take? Listen, where you sit, as you sit in your seats, what would it take to have a deep, burning love in your heart for our Savior Jesus? Would it take a Savior who would stoop so low that He would leave the glory of heaven would come as a man, the Bible says, as a bondservant, a slave and become our sin? Would it be having a Savior that would be rejected and mocked and disgraced and spat upon not for one sin that He committed, not one sin that He commit. Would it take a Savior who would die our death, who would endure our cross, who would shed His blood in our place, would it take a, a Savior who would not remove the penalty, but himself pay and satisfy the penalty, standing under the full wrath of a righteous and holy God? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Would it take a Savior who could defeat death, who could conquer the grave, who would walk out of that grave in resurrection power, that we might say, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? What would it take? What would it take for us to have a love for Jesus like that? Would it take the forgiveness of our sins? Would it take the cleansing of our rotten records? Would it take the restoration of our broken relationship? Would it take the redemption of our very lives? We are redeemed in Jesus Christ. Would it take the changing of our eternity that we might not perish but have everlasting life? Would it take the salvation of our souls? What would it take? To have that type of love for Jesus. Would it take a king, a king to stand, and to stand in majesty, the king of all the kings, and the lord of all the lords, and to stand in holiness, and majesty, and power, and to usher in a new heaven, and a new earth, where there is no sin, and no stain of sin, and with the removal of that sin, to reign forever as king, would you love him then? Because if that's what it would take, that's what we have in Jesus. See, the issue is not Him. It's us.
1: The issue is not Him.
0: It's our heart. And so today, May we, the redeemed of earth, saved in grace and suffering, serving a risen Lord, stand and profess as His church, we love you, Jesus. Tonight I am going to finish this. I'm going to talk about what, what is it that you have to do to have that type of love. He says, do the things you did at first. I'm going to finish this tonight. My question this morning is this. How is your heart today? How is your love for Christ today? Do you have a relationship with Him? Do you ever put your faith in Christ for the forgiveness of your sin? Have you ever understood you have no hope outside of Him? And and so do you have a love for, for Christ as you come to know Him as your Savior? What about for those of us that have been saved for maybe some years? And the pools of the world, the cares of the world, the distractions of the world led us to become less enamored with our Savior. How's your heart today? May he have the glory he deserves, a church that would say, we love God. Dear Father, we come today, we're thankful for you. We're thankful for the truth of your word. I'm thankful for a gracious, kind Redeemer, Jesus. I'm thankful that through Him my rotten record has been exchanged for His record of righteousness. I'm thankful that through Him I have the forgiveness of my sin. I'm thankful that through Jesus I have a fresh, clean slate and a new start. I'm thankful that I have restoration with my holy God, the creator of all things. I'm thankful that I have peace that the world can't steal can't give and can't understand. I'm thankful that I have eternal everlasting life and that one day we will live in the absence of sin forevermore. Most of all, I'm thankful that all of that comes to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, I love you. Lord, I pray that you've spoken to us today. Pray that maybe you've corrected us today. Maybe that you've refocused us today. Pray now in this time of invitation that you would freely move and freely work. Pray for those that need to make decisions today, some here in their seats. Pray that you would remove any hindrance their pride or doubt. I pray that today they would stand and take a stand for my Savior, my Lord, our Lord, Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would be glorified through Calvary Baptist Church. pray that you would be glorified in the preaching of your word today now I pray that you'd be glorified to the response that occurs. Lord, we love you, we praise you, we worship you, we exalt you. I pray in Jesus' name.